0: An interesting line in that that song says, "Tune my heart to sing thy yeah to sing thy praise." I love that. And I, when you read that verse, or when you sing it, or think about it, or whatever it is that we're we're doing, you kind of think about those of you who play. might play guitar. What do you? might play at guitar. Is that yeah. Wait, so, Fred, how often do you have to tune a guitar? Every time you use it. What? Every time you use it. So let's say I wanted to play the guitar and I leave it in my truck outside in the heat for a week, and then I come back out and play it. How is it? Is it going to be right in tune? It'll fall apart. It'll fall <laughs> Or will it even be... A, can you even play it if you do that? Right? You have to keep guitars are funny things that way and that you have to keep them in the right temperature, right? Temperature affects it. All what if you just what if it was in the right temperature but you just didn't play it for a while? It it still gets out of tune, right? So I kinda thought about that and this isn't what we're talking about today at all. So you don't have to listen right now if you don't want to. Um so I just was thinking about that as we were singing that, how true that is though, just with our heart and with our everyday life that sometimes we want to just put, we want to put our heart and put him on the shelf and in the closet that's not climate controlled and then we're actually surprised when, why why doesn't my heart sing praise? Why doesn't my heart sing praise? Well, where have you put your heart this week? What environments have you put your heart and your mind and your soul? How have you been carrying for it. Have you been getting in His Word daily, tuning it every day, every waking moment? And if not, why are you surprised that it's out of tune? So I just thought that that line was very, uh, very appropriate, just for who we are as people, who I am as a believer, and trying to, uh, trying to be pleasing to Him in the life that we lead. Has anybody seen the Rocky movies? Those of you who know me know I'm kind of a Rocky fan. How many of you have seen every Rocky movie that has been made? Okay, that's... that's do, Do we include Creed or do we not include Creed? Jimmy says we include it. We've got mixed reviews on including Creed or not. That's up for debate. We can talk about that at a later time. How many of you have not seen all the Rocky movies, but you've seen one or some of the Rocky movies? Okay, there's some. Let me guess. How many of you have only seen Rocky IV? Is there anybody that's only seen Rocky IV? For you amateurs, that's the one where he fights the Russian. <laughs> because I know that some of you guys are like, Rocky I, I don't... You got flip-flops on and you're trying to... That's the one where he fights the Russian. Has anybody only seen that one? Has anybody only seen Rocky I? Anybody... Which one did you see then, if you only saw... You can't because you think they're all the same. You're twelve. How could it have been a while? No, you're not twelve. I'm kidding. So if if you've only seen one of them, okay, if you've only seen Rocky three, if you've only seen Rocky four, those of you, the handful, the very small group of us that have seen all of them, can that person really appreciate? that one movie, if you haven't seen the whole gamut? You, no, why? You've got to start from the beginning, right? You have to know the whole deal. You have to know the whole story. You have to know why Rocky Four is significant. And those of you who, how many of you who have seen the Rockies say Rocky Four is your favorite? See, so you so you're not a Rocky fan. If Rocky Four is your favorite, you're not a Rocky fan. Because that's the movie that they gave in to commercialism. And they just, they went away from the script and they just went to pull on your heartstrings in The American Fights the Russian. So you're not a Rocky fan. I'm sorry. It's no offense. It's not your fault. But you're not a Rocky fan. It, to be a Rocky fan, you have to, one of the first three has to be your favorite to be considered a Rocky one. That's where you gotta go. I'm with you, Jeff. That's, that's the favorite. Okay? Last week, I kind of feel like a little bit that I was Rocky 4 with you, and we didn't get to have Rocky 1 through 3, because we went and we talked about some of that really cool stuff there in, in Hebrews chapter 12, those first couple of verses, some really cool, you know, fun fight scene kind of stuff. It wasn't really a fight scene, but you get where I'm going with my analogy. But we didn't really jump back, because I... Anytime, remember what verse 1 started with in chapter, chapter 12? Therefore. So it led us to believe that there was some really cool stuff that happened right before then that I, I kind of ask you to go and, and peruse quickly, right? You can't, I hated doing that. So now, we get to go back. Okay? So let's go back a little bit to Hebrews chapter 11 so we can get a little better caught up to speed as to why last week's Scripture and, and, and passage was so, was so important and the, uh, the intent that it really had. So in chapter 11, let's start here in verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen for by it the men of old gained approval. Two things happen in these two verses. First of all, what does verse 2 do? Where's verse 2 pointing? Anybody have any idea? Is it pointing back? It's pointing back to who? It's kind of doing a little bit of both. It's pointing back to the men of old, but then it's also a little bit of kind of giving you an introductory for what the rest of chapter 11 is about to talk about, because he's about to go through a laundry list. Many of you have probably heard chapter 11 being referred to as the Hall of Faith. Rather than the Hall of Fame, this is the Hall of Faith here in in Scripture. So verse 2 kind of says, hey, we've seen this in the men of old, who I'm about to tell you about, but how does verse 1 start? Do you get the feeling that with verse 1 you kind of came in the middle of the story a little bit? He just all of a sudden busts out with, now faith, and then he gives the definition. Well, let's, let's jump back just a minute. Chapter 10, verse 39. But we are not of those who shrink back to destru- destruction, but of those who have faith to the, to the preserving of the soul. And then he says, now faith is the assurance. See how he talks about how we are those who have faith for the preserving of the soul, and then he defines what that faith is, right? But why is he talking about this saying, but we do not shrink back from destruction? They might know what That seems like an odd statement, right? Unless, what? Let's go back a little more. Look back in the cha- in same chapter, verse 34 of chapter 10. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. Now, that's what we talked about last week when we jumped ahead into chapter 12. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back to to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And now let's get to what we're really talking about. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. What does that definition mean to you? He said all that to get to the point here that we see in the very first part of chapter 11. He gives us a definition of what faith is. Is there anything significant that you see? We see two definitions. Probably where Webster gets his... You know, you can't just have one definition to a word. You've got to have two or three. We see two definitions... Anything significant that you see or that you notice? Well, good. Then you'll get to learn something this morning. If you already knew, we could have gone to lunch sooner. But since nobody said anything, then I get to talk for a while. All right, let's start with the second definition. Okay. The second definition here that he gives, the conviction of things not seen. This word conviction could also be translated proof or evidence. Proof or evidence? Now, if we, if we look at it as proof or if we put the word evidence in there, does that almost seem, does that seem like a strange thing to say? The evidence of things not seen. How many of you know that at the Denver airport, at the very beginning of the Denver airport, there is a, I don't know how tall, a huge Statue of a Bronco up on its hind legs with red eyes. How many of you know that? Anybody know that? Why, how do you know that? Uh, I've studied it quite a bit. A lot of stuff at Denver Airport. Kind of, yeah, it is. It's <laughs> it is odd. It is odd. I was there recently. I had to fly into Denver. So I saw. So I can tell you that it is there. The Bronco is there. Okay, so now how many of you know that there is a Bronco at the Denver airport with red eyes? Okay, I have a few more hands now, why? Some of you still don't know that because you're like, (laughs) I don't know, you're crazy, dude. You could be, those of you who did raise your hand the second time, why did you raise your hand? Because you trust me, because what did I tell you? But, but, but I told you not that it was there, but I said specifically what? That I saw it. I saw that was there. So I know that it was there because I saw it, right? So if push came to shove with you, Rita, and everything was on the line and somebody said, is that Bronco there? Are you willing to put it all out there because I saw it? Whew, that's, a lot of, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> And now I'm kind of like, did I really see it? I mean, <laughs> I think I saw it. I'm... Okay, but, but you see where I'm, where I'm going there, right? Where, when you think about your faith and when you think about even just the works of God, is your faith there in the evidence that you've seen? Or is your faith based on the evidence that you've heard someone else have seen? And how confident are you in that? I just find it interesting that the definition here is of conviction is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is is the spiritual seeing of the fingerprints of God. The spiritual seeing of the fingerprints of God. Sometimes we, we think of faith as this almost ethereal, supernatural superpower that some believers have, right? You can't really touch it, see it, smell it, taste it, that sort of thing, right? That that's what faith is. But yet that's not what the Scripture just said. The Scripture called faith evidence evidence, proof, something tangible, something that's really there. I think sometimes we like to think of faith as this touchy-feely, can't-really-see-it-touch-it type of thing because it makes us feel better that it's okay that we're not really seeing it. Because if we're not really seeing it or having it, we can say, well, it's because it's that kind of you know, it's kind of like a unicorn. It's just, you know, not really real. It's just kind of out there, and it's okay that we think of it in those terms. And it's really just a churchy word that's kind of used to mean something very big about believing in something. That's not the definition that we've been given. The definition that we've been given says that it is actually evidence, proof of something. Proof of something unseen. That's a difficult statement. Turn to Romans. Keep your place in Hebrews there. But let's flip to Romans just for a minute. Romans chapter 1. Romans one twenty. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Look, that we talk about God being a mystery. So oftentimes we talk about seeking out God, and we, it's like he's some kind of needle in a haystack. So many times that it's so hard to find him, it's so hard to find his will, it's so hard to find what he wants us to do. Sometimes I wonder if we just get in our own way. What if we do all of this talk about God being so hard to find because it makes us feel better about not doing his will, about just not doing what we know it is that we are to be doing and growing the way that we know that we're to be growing. If we can say, Well, I'm just I'm just looking, I'm seeking, I'm trying, don't we feel better about ourselves? I mean Scripture says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature, those are some pretty awesome things about our God, have been clearly seen. Being understood, though, what has been made, so that they are without excuse. He even says, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. What does Scripture say about this whole finding God Look around. Look around. You not only see the attributes of him, but you understand. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? I mean, I read that and I kind of feel like an idiot. Because how many times have I probably used the crutch or used the excuse that I'm seeking or I'm trying to find and I'm really searching out? You know, his word... It's it's not a choose your own adventure book. It's not a mystery novel. It's not a whodunit that we're trying to figure out. It's not an episode of Criminal Minds where they give you fourteen characters and you're trying to figure out which one it's going to be. He he's laid it out. Says, look around, look around, and I've given you everything you need to see about my invisible attributes have you ever seen one of those 3d art pictures you know where it's like different designs and then they tell you to relax your eyes which nobody even knows what that means it's like i don't even that's i'm asleep when you do that right so i don't even understand what that means but you you relax your eyes and you just look through the picture or you just stare at it and have you done these things no it's right but then here, it's always a dolphin or a horse, for sure. Okay, so just say that. So like, oh, yeah, I see the dolphin. Then you're probably going to be right. But what happens, have you ever done one of those, and then you do see it, and you see the thing jump out? Then every time you look at that thing, what do you see? Boom! All you can see is a stupid dolphin. <laughs> right? And you're like, how did I not see that? It's just a picture of a dolphin. That's what it is. But And have you ever been with somebody that you see it? And they can't, and you just, you think if you talk louder to them, <laughs> it's in the middle! His head is up toward the top! Talk louder and slower, and you think that they can see it better. Right? Have you ever, have you been on the other side where you can't see it, and everybody's yelling at you around there, and you're like, I just, I can't, and finally you're just like, oh yeah! <laughs> yeah, there it is, just so they'll leave you alone about it. Right? But those of you who have seen it, when it jumps out, then every time you look at it, all you see is the dolphin or the pony or the whatever it is, right? That's creation for a believer. When we look all around us, the only thing we should be able to see is a, is a magnificent creator. And understand his attributes and his love and his grace. But if you're not, the only thing you can see is color and chaos. Does that make sense? Just like that 3D art. If you haven't seen it jump out, the only thing you see is color and chaos. And it may even be pretty. The design could even be uh, appeasing. I think I think an unbeliever can enjoy nature they can see the mountains and the streams and everything around us and enjoy it and say that it's beautiful and say that it's an awesome feat but it's still color and chaos but to a believer it's evidence it's the conviction it's the proof of the unseen it's the proof of who God is, the proof of his attributes and everything about him. So, is, so where do you stand in that? When you look around, is all you see him? The other night we were, um, I don't remember where we were going, somewhere to get something. So, okay, that's all we do is you go somewhere to get something, and probably Walmart. So on the side of our house was this, um, what was it called? Rose, maple, sugar, pancake, I don't know, maple, wood, something, moth, okay? Probably none of the things I said, but it was pink and yellow, okay? There was this pink and yellow moth on the side of the house that I thought was pretty interesting, so I call the kids out there. So Parker wants me to take a picture of it to send mom. Of course, she's in the house. I said, like, well, she, just, she can come out. But again, it speaks to our 12-year-olds in this world. that Everything's technology. They want to take a picture and send it. She's 10 feet away. She can walk over and look at it. I don't have to text her a picture. So that's another side note. So we come out. But even in that, we were able to have a conversation about why. Why was that? Claire said, because God's creative and wants it to be colorful. Parker said, to ward off predators. So there's your two versions, both of which are probably fairly correct about why God did that. But those are the types of conversations as, as parents, as you're bringing up young ones and looking at creation around, everything needs to be pointing back to this creator, Everything needs to be pointing back to who he is and what he's doing and why that, even the little pink and yellow moth, makes a difference. That's how we live out what this faith, what this definition of faith means in the life of our church, in the life of of each individual family. Proof of who he is. Let's look at the first definition. Go back to Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Now faith. The assurance of things hoped for. Assurance can be translated substance. The substance of things hoped for. Well, that substance means there's there's something there. There's the meat there. There's the, the satisfaction of things hoped for. Faith isn't that we sit around biting our fingernails trying to put on this confident face that I know these things are going to happen. It's actually being satisfied in where your faith is. It's being full of of His grace and His Spirit and His love so that you're satisfied in that. Are you satisfied? Are you full? Or do we say that we have faith because really we're discontent, but our faith is in Someday, God's going to do something and everything's going to be better. I don't know that that really matches up with, with our definition of faith. To just say that things are terrible now, but God's going to do amazing things later and everything will be good, I don't think that is the definition here. It's saying in the present tense, we have substance. In the present tense, we're satisfied with the things hoped for. We're satisfied now with the things that are to come. Not that we moan and groan and complain now because God's going to fix it all at the end. We're satisfied now. We're full now. Look in Psalm 34. I love this passage. It's just, it's a reminder to me when when things are crazy and I'm going four different directions. Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We can't experience the substance. We can't experience the assurance until we've tasted. In that first definition, I think I've looked at that many times and so often just thought of it as, these, as this looking toward the future, of knowing that someday everything's going to be okay. Okay. And as we really read and look and study through that, I'm just not convinced that's exactly what it's saying. Now, as I reread what, what faith is and what it, what it should be, I see these two things. I see, I see that we should be satisfied right now in today because of what is coming. And two, the evidence and proof is already there around us. The evidence is around us which allows us then to be satisfied in what's coming and in who He is and the things that are to come. That's faith. That's what faith is. So as we continue to move forward, I want us to go through and we're going to look at some other examples Of faith, but before you can do that, I think you really need to have a good concept and understanding of what faith is. And too often, we've wanted to call faith, like I said, this big supernatural power that something the uber spiritual have. And it's just not what his definition says, it's not what his word tells us. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. The satisfaction of those things that are hoped for. Are you satisfied? Are you full? Are you content? Have you really tasted and seen that He's good? And you just rest in that? Or do we Do we worry and manipulate and try to move the pieces around so that it makes sense to us? Are you confident in the proof and in the evidence that you see that's all around us? Do you have the conviction of the things things not seen, the proof of the things not seen? Is the dolphin jumping out on the page to you where that's all you can see is him? If you're a believer and you're seeing more color and chaos than you are a dolphin, then it probably goes back to where we started with tuning our heart. Does our heart need to be tuned? to who he is? Are you full? Are you satisfied? Are you able to see him in everything that surrounds you? Why do we make faith so difficult? Sometimes I think we... We're, we're still getting in our own way with making these things so very difficult because if it's a definition that we can't understand or if we feel like it's above us, then we don't have to worry about it. Right? You just want to use it when it's possible, but you don't want to have to understand it or, or really do anything about it because it's way above. Those are things that only, you know, Leroy and, you know, really super spiritual people like that. They know understand what faith is. When re-looking at this definition of faith, is it really does it really seem that complicated? Is it something only for the super spiritual? For those that are professional Christians, that are on staff somewhere, or is there a number of times a week you have to go to church to make that happen? Seems to me like it's just saying, are you satisfied in where God is taking you and what he's doing? And do you see him in everything around you? Everything around you is the evidence and the proof of who he is. If you see anything less, when you look around, if you see anything less than an awesome creator, with unimaginable power and an incredible grace that he wants you to be a part of it, then you need to examine that relationship that you have with that creator. If all you see is color and chaos, then you're missing what real faith is. You're missing what real faith can be And if you're missing that, you'll never be able to have that substance. You'll never be able to have that true satisfaction. And you can sing all the songs and you can smile and you can do all of those things as an individual and we can do all of that as a body. But as long as we put faith as this thing that only certain people can really have, or it's this thing that we're constantly seeking after, like searching for Sasquatch in North Dakota, then you're always going to be hunting, and you're never going to taste him. You're never going to be satisfied in him. Let's pray. I want you to ask yourself before we sing our last, before we sing our last song, before we uh, lift up this to Him. I want I want to ask you: Are you full? Are you satisfied? Do you know that you have substance when you think of your faith? Or is it something that's really more of a uh, feeling? God doesn't ask us to be content with some just feeling or inclinations. He said very clearly in His Word that there is substance, there is proof, there is evidence of our faith in Him. When you look around, if you see anything other than an incredible creator that deserves and demands our praise, then you need to taste and see that he is good. As a believer, if if you do see that, if you do see who he is and the creator that he is, then I encourage you to, to take satisfaction in that to be delighted in who he is, and quit working so hard to find him and enjoy him, worship him, live with, in, and through him. Father, we love you, and God, we thank you that that you love us. We thank you that you, you have made faith something that we can actually see. You're not a mystery. You're not hiding from us. Faith is not something that's a game that you're playing, some kind of shell game that we never really know the answer to. But Lord, you want us to be satisfied in you, and you want us to see you in everything that's around us. So Father, as we, as we sing this last song, I pray that we sing it with an excitement. I pray that we worship you with the full satisfaction and confidence and assurance and conviction that we see who you are and who we are in you. Father, we pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.